Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station and at seattlesports.com. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Ray Marine Electronics, and Les Schwab Tires. Working hour two of the Outdoor Line. Seattle Sports Station 710, the Seattle Sports app. That's Rob Bensley. Joey Piber in my right. Matt Nelson running the board back there. I'm Tom Nelson. Your next bottom fish trip starts at Float 4 in Westport. That's where you're going to find the uh, good-looking ride of our mm-hmm. next guest, Nick Scafteron, High Life Charters. Good morning, Nick. Thanks morning, for- Nick. What's up, buddy? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Dude, that's a good-looking ride, hey, Who built man? that boat of yours, by that the way? Is- uh, well, a guy named Marty Bennett down in Owaco built it originally, and it's been lengthened and converted from inboard to outboard, and I've done a lot of work to it, so it's kind of just a custom built at this point. Twin Yamaha 300s, that's, dude, that's a solid ride. So, so right now, you're, you're inside of the 300-foot line, um, at Westport, n- n- nice mix of bottom fish and, and, uh, you know, black rocks and lings and whatnot. Tell us the drill. Yeah, um, it's, uh... We just, um, yeah, can't fish outside of 300 feet right now. Um, it's uh, it's pretty good time. I like to fish with light tackle. Um, it just makes the catching the fish a lot more fun. Typically this time of year, the, the wing cod or the males that are kind of hanging around um, protecting the nest. And so there's a lot of like 4 to 12-pound fish with the occasional 20-pounder or so in the mix. There's one caught already this year that was, over 40 and so there's always a chance of getting a big one but this time of the year they're you know more of the eater sized fish and so um like to just use the lighter stuff to keep it as fun as possible and what are you talking about lighter stuff what what are you running buddy um i this year i got a a set of um thrasher rods built that are they're probably a little bit too light to be honest but they're um it makes it real fun and then i have a okuma low profile reels with line counters um Mm-hmm. and i fish darts a lot darts and shrimp flies um and then further rockfish and you catch wing caught on those too but then typically just fish um like herring with the lead for catching the wing cod and then uh so when you're running the darts you're running a dart and then what a couple shrimp flies up the line just one, one usually yeah. um you're only allowed to use two hooks in westport and so it's uh, a lot of the time I just use like a dart on the bottom and then tie a fly up the line a little bit so, so that you can catch two at a time when they're biting good. So in the morning you're going to run out what? How many miles offshore are you going? Uh, offshore you're not too terribly far, but anywhere from like 12 to 20 miles from Westport up the coast. Um, I typically, like I say, I like to fish in on the shallower rocks just because for one you can let the smaller rock fish go without the issue of blowing their guts out and uh but it just makes it more fun and what color flies i noticed in alaska the it seems like the pinks always work a little better but are, are you running other color flies what are you running out there buddy to get those things because sometimes mostly yeah like reds and pinks blues yeah. um you know i think when they're biting it doesn't really matter to be honest yeah. it's funny how picky those rockfish can be those black rocks i mean you you pull onto a massive school of them are like 
really? Why aren't you buying? Yeah, <laughs> there's. It's weird. Yeah, Did no. you experience that too? Definitely. Yeah. And uh, the later it gets in the year, um, the worse it gets. But usually, yeah. sometime in May, we'll get um, live anchovies, and that's like mm-hmm. that's the ticket. I mean, oh, you that's can, murder. You can, yeah, you can park on a school of those fish and literally like catch every last one of them. Now you started working on boats out there when you were 13 years old. Um, did yep. you grow up out there? How did you get involved in this stuff, man? And and uh, man, look where it's taken you. It's a pretty awesome career, buddy. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I yeah, well, actually, I got into it because my mom taught with someone who ran a charter boat during the summertime, mm-hmm. um, and it was. You like fishing, you want to be a deckhand for the summer, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but it sounded fun, and it uh, it's, it's worked out, and I've worked on a lot of the big boats um, growing up, and then you just get to a point where it's, you know, time to do your own thing, and I, uh, that was, I guess, seven years ago now, and it's it's been it's been good. It, you know, it's like anything where when you fish every day, it kind of turns it into a job a little bit, but it's still yeah. still a pretty good job, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, all that experience shows, man. You know, I've, I've fished with you a couple of times, and, yeah, geez, you make it look really, really easy out there. Let's talk a little bit about what's coming up in June. Um, what I really like is that deep water ling fishery where you get to go out and you're fishing in. Uh, I think we're probably in five to 600 feet of water, but... I've never had lingcod fishing that, you know, it's, you drop it down and then you reel those things up and they're giant, just sea monsters, dude. Talk a little bit about the deep water thing that's coming up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely becoming my favorite fishery to do. It's like you said, I mean, the, the deeper that you get, it seems like the cod are bigger out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's a newer thing that, uh, we used to only be able to fish out there on halibut days, but now we get the first through the 15th of June and then the whole month of September. And, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. I, I pretty much exclusively fish pipe jigs just because for one, I, I like using them and it's, uh, it's just, it's simple and they work really good. And it's, I mean, it's, a lot of the times it, it takes longer to run out there than it does to catch your fish. Um, it's, you know, That's a good day, though, dude. That's cool. Well, and, oh, yeah. and listen, it's Nick, fun. in fishing, we, we, we typically gravitate towards something that looks like a fish to catch, yeah. A, yeah. To catch a salmon or a link cut or a halibut or whatever. Pipe jig looks like nothing. It's it a pipe full of lead with a hook on it. Why do those things work so well, man? Uh, well, good question. You know, I think that part of it is just they're they're very intrusive you know and lingcod mm-hmm. are territorial fish so you're down there making a whole bunch of noise and i think they bite it just to kill it more than to eat it um but then i've also been told that the combination of the, the, the copper yeah, pipe full of lead in yep. salt water puts mm-hmm. off an electrolysis you know mm-hmm. kind of like a, a wounded fish or whatnot and so it kind of helps attract them that way because i catch rockfish on them too out there mm-hmm. and they kind of catch everything i've i've caught a king salmon on them before even <laughs> oh gosh yeah halibut love them too do you bait them <laughs> yeah will you, will you tip the hooks with anything no just yep. just a pipe jig and a treble hook and yeah i think my favorite part about it is when you pull them out and show the people that's what you're going to use and they look at you like <laughs> no, crazy. what is that <laughs> what is i'm that? used to that i'm yeah. used to that look but those darn pipe jigs man especially in deep water i haven't found them that effective in the shallow water. they do boy. not work in the puget sound no and they just too don't shallow. Don't. yeah but in that deep water oh my gosh and then halibut too if we want to catch chicken halibut i mean they just mow those things down and but you'll you'll ch- put some skin on one. i i bait them with I with mean, halibut I skin, always bait them yeah. with with uh, link cod 
skin or helmet skin yeah. or, or whatever. Or I'll even fillet a big herring and roll that up and, and put the fillet on there or whatever. But, yeah, uh, a lot of fun. you got a great season ahead of you here. Hopefully the weather starts straightening itself out. I mean, gosh, these westerlies yeah, got to be killing you right now. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's the hardest part about fishing in the spring, you know, just yeah. making all the stars aligned where you get a nice day and you get people that want to go. And usually the fishing's pretty good when you can get out, but it is just the weather's the biggest issue. And usually, you know, it starts to calm down. Um, well, any time now would be nice, right? <laughs> no, no <laughs> How doubt. do folks get a hold of you, man? And, Andy, got any openings coming up? Yeah, yeah, I do. I got room in April, May for the, the regular bottom fishing trips. And then, uh, a few days in June and lots of days in September for the deep water stuff, and then salmon July and August. Yeah, and of course those talks are going on right now. And when we're talking with Nick Scafter on this morning, fishthehighlife.com is the website. Go check that out. Um, you got to be fired up because we're, we're looking at increasing coho on the coast, Nick. We're looking at, at increasing Chinook. But if there is kind of a, of a of a dark cloud on the horizon. It's described in four letters, B-O-E-M, or the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, and the wind farm that's proposed to be like right in the Grays Canyon, just just 30 miles, 35 miles offshore of Westport. What's your take on the sighting, the actual location of this proposed wind farm off of Westport, Nick? Uh, Well, I mean, it's it's kind of just right right in the zone where a lot of the big, you know, the real good cod fishing is, and... Lots of guys catch tuna right through there, and, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't think that it can help, you know, at least the town of Westport, and, you know, I mean, as far as relying on the fishing community and everything, it just doesn't seem to me like it's the best place to put it. There's a lot of a lot of other areas that have, you know, less structure on the bottom and less, you know, just their sand for long ways where, I mean, running the transmission lines and all that stuff, I'm sure it, it can't help anything. <laughs> I, I mean... They put it just right in the heart of, of, of the fishery, and, and, and they did the same thing on the East Coast. You almost kind of wonder if, okay, we're going to put it here, and then, oh, okay, well, they moved it, so it's going to be better. It's almost, it almost like, becomes a marine sanctuary at that point. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's, but, mm-hmm. but I just, yeah, they're kind of playing games yeah, with the side. Well, we'll of keep it. an eye on that. Definitely. And good luck with your season, man. you got to be fired up to get out there and get back to work again. So good luck with everything. And, and uh, can we follow you along, like on Facebook or Instagram or anything? Got any, any social media stuff going on where you can follow you? Yeah, um, Facebook is just High Life Charters, um, and then uh, Instagram is uh, High Life Charters underscore Westport. Cool. And we'll be giving you a follow. The website, fishthehighlife.com. Nick Scafteron, thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it. We're definitely going to have you on again, buddy, if you'll you'll jump on with us. Thanks, Nick. Have a great weekend, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'll see you in June, buddy. (laughs) All right. Take it easy, Nick. Thank you so much. Coming up next, the critically acclaimed award-winning Northwest Outdoor Report right here. And the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station 710, the Seattle Sports app. The Northwest Outdoor Report is brought to you by Les Schwab Tires. Taking your safety seriously for over 70 years. The Eastern Strait of Juan de Fuca and Marine Area 6 through 10 open for halibut on Thursday with mixed results. Lee Rosori at Swain Sporting Goods over in Port Angeles said he heard of a few halibut being caught off Eddie's hook in around 270 feet of water. A 70-pounder was the biggest he heard on the opener, and then the wind blew so hard yesterday that not many folks went out. Kevin John at Holiday Sports in Burlington said the bite really didn't pick up until later in the day on the opener. Towards the end of the ebb, he said the data from the check stations indicated about one halibut for every four rods. 
and Ron Holmes from the Fish Northwest Halibut Derby in Friday Harbor said a 41-pounder was on top of the board so far at the Derby. A total of nine halibut were weighed in yesterday for 235 anglers. Rod mentioned that quite a few guys caught smaller halibut, though, that they didn't weigh in. And, of course, the yesterday's horrendous weather didn't help much either. Today's marine forecast for the eastern straits is no joke either. West 20 to 30 knots this morning, rising to 25 to 35 knots in the afternoon. CQ closes for blackmouth. Marine Area 5 and CQ closed for winter blackmouth fishing yesterday. The winter fishery in CQ was slated to stay open through the end of April, but higher than expected catches of winter Chinook in the area forced WDFW to close it down early. Marine Area 5 will remain open for lingcod, cabazon, and rockfish on May 1st and halibut on May 5th. Spring Chinook fishing on the lower Columbia River was open through this past Wednesday, April 6th. Catches on the river were consistent for the last few days of the opener, with the bulk of the springers being caught on cut plug herring behind a fish flash. The river will remain closed while the Columbia River Compact analyzes the harvest to determine whether another opener can take place later in the run. Through Wednesday, a total of 960 spring Chinook had passed over Bonneville Dam, which is well above the 247 that passed over the dam the same date last year. The number will also... um, the number is also well above the 10-year average. The Columbia is open for spring Chinook fishing from Bonneville Dam upstream to the Oregon-Washington border from April 1st through May 5th. Fishery managers just announced a nine-day sturgeon opener on the lower Columbia River that will start on May 11th. The river will be open on Wednesdays and Saturdays from May 11th through June 4th from Bowie 10 at the mouth of Columbia upstream to the Wana Power Lines near Cathlamet. Anglers will also be able to keep sturgeon on Memorial Day, which is May 30th. All sturgeon fishing closes at 2 p.m. Each day it is open. Anglers can retain one sturgeon a day between 44 and 50 inches with two sturgeon total for the season. Big Bass Tourney set for potholes. The registration is open for the Big Bass Tournament May 14th on Potholes Reservoir. The Big Bass Tourney is the biggest tournament on the Northwest and features $50,000 in cash and prizes with a chance to win a Skeeter ZX200 bass boat rigged with a 200-horsepower 200, 200 Yamaha outboard. Northwest Bass is hosting the Banks Lake Open coming in April 23rd. For more information about both of these bass tournaments, log on to northwestbass.com. WDFW has tentatively scheduled eight more days of razor clam digging on the Washington coast. And the big news is that the daily razor clam limit will go back up to 20 clams per day on this series of digs. The digs will start next Saturday, April 16th, and run through the last Saturday of the month on April 30th. The department will make a final announcement on the digs after test shows that the clams are safe to eat. Check out the WDFW website to see what beaches are open on each day of this dig. Turkey season opens in Washington this coming Friday, April 15th. and runs through the end of May. The majority of the turkeys taken in Washington come from the northeast corner of the state. 68% of the turkeys harvested in Washington come from the 100 GMUs up in the northeast corner. Next best area is the southeast part of the state with 10% of the birds harvested there. Temperatures are expected to drop below freezing at night in Colville on the opener. But after that, daytime temps are forecast to climb steadily throughout the first week of the season. Find the best in tires, brakes, wheels, batteries, shocks, struts, and more at LesSchwab.com. So you mentioned turkeys, you say. Turkeys, right? I don't know a better guy to talk about this in Pacific Northwest than our next guest. Scott Haugen, just nothing short of a legend. He's done so much stuff. And, Joey, you got to spend some time with him uh, over, east of the, over east of the hump. You did a little uh, winter deal, filmed a show, I think. little with, cast and blast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with with uh, with our friend Austin Mosier and, and whatnot, and you you got to spend some time with uh, with Scott for the first time, you know, basically ever. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, it was a great trip, and it was just cool to hear. I mean, Scott's done everything. He's hunted Africa, Alaska. He's been everywhere in the world. I mean, um, the experience and the knowledge. It was just cool to 
hang out with the guy for a couple of days and, and, you, you know, he's pretty quiet actually in person. And, um, it, I kind of had to, you kind of have to poke at him and drag some stories up, but then it's like, wow, man, this guy's just done so it's much. A wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Especially oh, on the turkey hunting front. We got the oh, opener geez. coming Friday. This is the guy to get you dialed Dude. in right here. Hunting books, fishing books, cook books, DVDs. TV I mean, shows. Yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch. Log on to scotthoggin.com. And Scott's joining us next here in the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. You're in the RenaissanceMarineGroup.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boat. Welcome to the wheelhouse here on Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. That's Rob Ensley, Joey Piber, and Matt Nelson running the board. I'm Tom Nelson, and I tell you what, I'm pretty proud to have this guy in our wheelhouse. I haven't had a chance to interview him in quite so many years. Scott Haugen of scotthaugen.com. Good morning, Scott. Welcome Scott. to the show. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Thanks for the invite. Nice to be back. you got to be fired up, dude. We're close, man. Are you going to be hunting Oregon or Washington here this week? What's your, what's your game plan, buddy? I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be hitting Oregon yeah. this week. I've been, been hitting the, the turkeys. I, I, I run trail cameras for them year-round, and I love hunting them in the fall with my dogs. And then I have uh, a few places that... Uh, where I like hunting them, and those birds just weren't around this fall. And here, about six weeks ago, they started showing up in in big numbers in multiple places. So I'm going in with pretty high hopes, hoping this big cold snap and snow they're calling for kind of passes us by. Yeah, I've been following along and and checking out your. You know, you have an amazing uh, social media, uh, the pictures, the video. You're a great photographer, but I've been looking at your trail cam pics. What's going on with the turkeys? Are they starting to get active? I saw some birds maybe chasing some hens around. Um, we are going to have this little cold snap. How's that going to affect the birds? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I, uh, uh, it, Oregon extended their fall season to the end of January. They did that last year, and uh, I, I, the year before last, uh, this last season here, I took two two birds with my dogs, and this last year I got one with my dog and then went out in January and tried calling some in, and, and I just had multiple toms coming in, goblin full strut, you know, in really? January. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, so these, yeah, toms are toms are ready to play pretty early. Usually by by mid-April, most of the breeding, almost all the breeding, is actually done. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting thing. I've been seeing a lot of breeding going on the past gosh two two and a half weeks uh, out there as well. So. So the breeding is pretty much done. What you have now is you have a lot of uh, a lot of young hens that are um, not going to be nesting this year that are still active. That the toms are, you know, hoping, you know, want to breed. So they'll be following those around, and they, and they're still in some pretty good sized flocks, seven, eight, ten, twelve hens, and and it's hard pulling those toms away from from those live birds. Uh, at the same time, you have hens that are starting to peel off and nest. Some of the the hens will nest in the same areas where you know where they spend the winter and where the breeding takes place. Some are going to head. 10, 15 miles into the hills, and a lot of those birds that, that head high pull toms up with them. And and it, you know, th- this is the time of year where you you might have seen a lot of toms scouting, and now they kind of start dispersing, and it's because they're following nesting hens. So that can be good if they realize that the hen is nesting. Then you can go in and and call those birds in or call those toms in pretty pretty readily. Uh, but but if not, if those hens lose a clutch um, or if they if they need to rebreed, um, then those toms can can be tough. That uh, upon 
inbreeding, the, the actual mating process, the hens can actually um, hold the sperm in their body for 30 to 40 days before they, they even process it. So they could have been bred a month ago, and, and right about now their biological clock is ticking, and, and they'll go start making a nest. They'll lay one egg a day uh, for 10, 12, uh, 13 days in a row, and, the, and then they'll start, let, uh, start uh, setting on the nest. And, and a little bit later is when you're going to find more of those lone toms uh, that, that you can call in a little more easily. I was going to ask you about the public land birds. I mean, we see plenty of birds on private land over in northeast Washington or whatever, and you think, oh, I need to get in there. But it's those public land birds that we're really after. And those are those ones you mentioned that travel, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles, and they follow that snow line up. How do you find yep. those birds, and how do you locate them? I, I was watching all your videos last couple of days, and, and you got a variety of locator calls that you use. How do you send folks yeah. out and get them dialed in on finding these birds and, and getting them to call back and, and get them located? Yeah, locator calls is it, and we're the same here. You know, Oregon, Eastern Oregon is you know uh, all kinds of public land, uh, and and it, it's it, it's hard because a lot of the western side of the state, you know, birds in both Washington and Oregon, when they were being um, transplanted and located and relocated in the western parts, were put on public land, but they just gravitated to private land and just took up life there. You know, people are feeding them and less predators and a little easier, you know, climate for them. So so the west. Side stuff is tough, but at that east side, and there are some, some west side public land areas, but basically going in with locator calls, setting up trail cameras. I, I run quite a few trail cameras. I, I, I have a spot. My favorite spot to hunt is up fairly high, 2,000 feet elevation or so here in Oregon, and, and I'm, I'm picking up birds on, on uh, you know, traveling on uh, elk uh, trails, deer trails. So, so I'm doing that, and I'm locating. Windy days, those birds are going to be down, you know, tucked in the bottoms of the canyon. So I like getting up high and running the ridges. And, and um, they, I actually have better uh, better luck locating them once the season starts with fly-down cackles than I do with coyote or crow or, you know, goose sounds, something like that. So, so I'll just use fly-down cackles off of a box call, something really loud uh, where I can get sounds going through the canyon. And then I glass, just like big game. I mean, you're sitting up on the points and watching these birds, and there aren't a lot of them up in these high elevations, so I'll spend a lot of time glassing across canyons and and um, and trying to set up. Once I find them out on the point of ridge, I like trying to set up uphill in this high country. I have a little better chance or better success, I should say, calling birds uphill than I do downhill uh, for some reason in this rugged country. So our opener, we're going to have... Uh fairly cold temps here on the east side. It's going to be, you know, freezing at night. Uh, it's going to be yeah. overcast. What are some tips for some guys going out there? Those birds are probably going to stay in the roost a little longer. They're probably going to be a little bit quieter. Give us some tips for some cold weather turkey turkey tactics. Cold weather turkey. Get out there and <laughs> mm-hmm. do not let the weather deter your plans. Uh, one time I was hunting in eastern Washington and uh, started the morning uh, hiking up in uh, almost 3,000 feet elevation we had to go to. Um, but when I got out of the truck, it was 16 degrees and, and snowing, and it never got above freezing all day. Um, got into multiple birds. They were down in the canyons, but got into multiple birds, killed a big tom. Um, you know, we, we have turkeys in every state except um, Alaska. But uh, a lot of people, you know, say, gosh, it's cold. These birds are going to shut down. I've seen birds in South Dakota when I've been, you know, deer hunting there in the winter, you know, two, three feet of snow and, you know, well below zero and doing just fine. I had a, a biologist buddy. They were doing a test with turkeys out of Fairbanks one year when we lived up on the North Slope, and they brought in five jakes and just turned them loose on, on uh, some lands in, in Fairbanks. And Fairbanks is some of the coldest, you know, country 
you know, in, in the nation, in all of North America, they'll get, you know, 50, 60 below in the winter. And we had a very cold winter, a lot of snow. And then I went out there in the spring with them, and those birds were right in the same place. They mm-hmm. survived that. You know, total darkness, uh, you know, just the most harsh conditions. So, so these birds are hardy. If those hens have moved up there into the high country to nest, it's for a reason. Uh, you know, the food will be there. They have to eat. Like you say, they're going to be on the, the roost a little bit longer. They might not move as much, but if you can get splashes of sunlight or breaks in the clouds where, where a little bit of, uh, you know, sun rays penetrate the forest or hits a, you know, green grassy knob, a lot of times it, those birds can turn off and on like a light switch and it can be cold not talking as soon as that sun comes out there talking then you know where to make your move to so um i know i think down in oregon you guys can use two shot correct yeah yeah. and and everything below and here we're fours and and Mm -hmm. down um yeah what what do you prefer for for turkey hunting for shot. You know, I, I, I really like five and six shot. I like more BBs. Mm-hmm. I, I like a three inch shell that just gives me, you know, more of a, uh, more of a pattern. Um, it, you know, gosh, when I wrote my book on turkey hunting, when I was doing tons of turkey hunting with the TV show, you know, I've been on hundreds of hunts for these things and, and pattern guns and, and, you know, loads and, and, and it's really an interesting um, cycle because l- last year I went back to my very first 20 gauge that I shot my first dove with when I was 12 years old. You know, of course, killed ducks and geese and grouse and snipe and everything else with it. And I thought, you know, I'll just put the decoy at 15 yards, use my, you know, three inch six shot and, you know, just plow birds. And, and, and it's really just a matter of how, how patient you want to be and how close you want to get those birds in. I like using decoys to, you know, pull them in uh, tight and watch them strut, strut and gobble around the decoys. So, so what I've seen with the progression of shotguns, you know, when, when turkey guns first started coming out, you know, it was it was kind of the kind of the craze to you know get those things. You get a short barrel gun with a, a thumb hole stock or a you know a pistol grip. Uh, 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 you know, stock on it and, and uh, a, a very streamlined gun. And then you put a three, you know, three, three and a half inch shell in there with a extra, extra full choke. And I tell you what, that thing is like, you know, shooting elephant guns in Africa. That thing <laughs> packs a wall up. <laughs> so then because so many people were flinching because of the misses, you know, they were just anticipating the recoil. There, there were tons of people missing birds with those. So, so the red dot sights came out and, and, and that helped. Uh, you know, if you're going to hunt, you know, one or two turkey hunts a year, just use your regular shotgun that you're, you know, hunting ducks or grouse with and just know what the pattern is is doing. Uh, you know, if you're going to be traveling a lot and want to reach out there a little bit more and, you know, to have a lot of turkey hunting in your future, then investing in, in one of these high-tech guns could, could could be your ticket. They're fun, but, but don't feel you have to to go out and kill a bird. Author, host, and uh, all-around knowledgeable guy, Scott Algen, joining us this morning. And if you were telling somebody to go get a specific shotgun action, whether it be and 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 potentially put a red dot on it, what where would you send somebody? What would you look at a would you look at an automatic or a pump? And 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 talk to a little, a little about choke tubes too, because I've heard of some point of impact uh, effect with different choke tubes you could put in a gun, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I've I've done a lot of research with multiple guns and and multiple chokes and multiple multiple red dot sights and and, and the, w- once you get to that stage where you're shooting a specialized gun choke loads and red dot sight, think of it more like you're shooting a rifle yeah. than patterning a shotgun. Sure. Uh, you're sighting that thing in. You know, you, you might shoot three different brands of loads, and those things might have a, a point of impact that's 
you know, three totally different places on paper. Now, at first, it might look like, you know, well, gosh, I hit paper, this is good. But, you know, if you're shooting that thing at 40 yards and and it's a little high into the right or a little, little low into the left, then what I do is I'll back up and shoot it at 30 yards, 20 yards, and even 10 yards. And, and once you shoot that thing at 10 yards, you'll see, you know, it's going to put a, t- a tennis ball size hole in the paper, and, and that's your real point of impact. And, and when you, most of the misses that people have on these turkeys are where they come in too close and they don't realize that this, you know, extra full choke and, and you know, three-inch load is, is really shooting a tight pattern. So it's, it's more like shooting a slug at them uh, than a pattern. So, so know what distances that, that the load is that you're going to use, uh, you know, starts opening up, and what its effective range is. You know, several, several setups now, it's nothing to kill a turkey at 70 yards but but don't just you know go buy some loads off the shelf and and um and and throw it in there and 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 think you're going to do it you have to you have to sight that thing in like a rifle you know if i'm going that route i I, i've had really good luck with mossberg shotguns they're affordable they they shoot well um you know pumps have a little less recoil um so that just comes down to, to what people um, you know, want to, you know, prefer. Usually when you're shooting at a turkey, you don't, you know, you don't miss. Um, so, you know, a pump is fine. Um, coming out of a recoil out of a, out of a semi-auto might be a little much for, for some, for some folks. So kind of a personal preference thing. Uh, I, if I'm going with the red dot side, I like an extra full choke because I want a tight pattern. It's good to have that if you're hunting timber, you know, where you're maybe shooting through some brush or have a really uh, small sight window. Yeah, and then uh, knowing what that red dot sight is going to do, I like a nice crisp red dot. I like Trijicon's uh, RMR. It's a little bit uh, uh, spendy, but you can regulate the size of the dot by the illumination um, control buttons on the side, and, uh, and, and it's it's just a real good point of reference, in wh- whether you're in shade or or sunlight or or whatever. He's appeared on uh, over. Is, 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 I'm sorry, as far as, as shells, my. My favorite turkey load to shoot is, I, I like Browning's. They have a three-inch turkey load. It's five shot that I like. Nice. Over 450 television shows, 2,500 magazine articles, and 15, more than 15 books. He's Scott Haugen, scotthaugen.com. Scott, thank you very much. I hope you don't mind if we call on you a little later in the year for a couple other hunting and, and probably even some fishing <laughs> No, topics, not man. at all. And if people want, not at all, I appreciate it. And uh, if people want to go to my website and, and mention that they heard us talking on the show, they can order a turkey hunting book, and I'll send them another one uh, for free just to try to get it in the hands of youth or new hunters. So just say they want the, the the radio special and and I'll send two of them for the price of one. There awesome, it is. awesome, cool. Go man. get them. Look forward to seeing some pictures of your of your successful hunts coming up here. And have a great weekend, buddy. Appreciate the time, Scott. Hey, hey thanks, gentlemen. All right. Thanks, Scott. Good work. See you, All right, good luck, Scott. Uh-huh. Thanks again. Once again, that right. website scotthaugen dot com h a u g e n dot com. And uh, I tell you what, I have so much respect for this guy. Completely experienced. He 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 taught school. He was a science teacher for so many years and, and, and threw that over to, to become just one of the foremost outdoorsmen in the Pacific Northwest. I just wrote one article for Salmon and Seal Journal and it about did. killed me. This guy's <laughs> written 2,500 so articles. Pick up, the latest, pick up the latest edition of Salmon Steelhead Journal and you're going to find Robbo's article and accidental success. And then that's, that's a, he's, he's a published author. Yeah, after, you know, he's, he's after fishing yeah. and, and hunting over there with Scott, I was like, it was pretty cool that I could just, I'm like, Texting back and forth with Scott, you know, and yeah. talking about hunting and different fishing. fishing and, He's yeah, all, man. man. Yeah. 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 Great, great guy. guy. Cool. Coming up next, the hottest report we've heard all week in the techniques you need to succeed. It's Roy Robinson RVs. Really?
where? And it's next here in the, out- here in the outdoor line. Seattle Sports Station 710 and Seattle Sports app. No way. you got to be kidding me. Really? Where? Just coming back. The island of Tinny and Delay. Where'd you get him, man? No way. you, you got to tell me. I, I, I'm not going to tell anybody. Ocean Journey Red. Hey, man. Can you tell me where you got him? I'll never put on a nice jacket again. Welcome to RoyRobinsonRV.com's Really? Where? Where? RoyRobinsonRV.com will take you anywhere. Really? Time to step up to the number one Winnebago Bego dealer in the Northwest. You're going to find a complete line of Class A, Class B, Super C's, travel trailers, fifth wheelers, tour haulers, pop-ups, campers, and so much more. Check out the new website, RoyRobinsonRV.com. You're going to find the interactive RV shopping tool. How much can you tow with your vehicle or RV? Enter your vehicle in there and get your safe towing weight at RoyRobinsonRV.com. Listening to Scott Haugen made me wish we were going to stay home another week and maybe take a pop-up or a toy hauler to the east side and go chase some of these turkeys. Mm-hmm. Is that fun or what? You might even see the sun over there yeah. this next week. You know? Yeah, you'll see more um, sun over there. It's going to be cold, but uh, boy, that turkey hunting thing, that's a lot of fun. Joe, Joe, you've done a ton of that stuff. I've done a little bit of it, not much, but you you did it for years, and uh, what a blast, man. Yeah, and, and, and I kind of fell off the turkey wagon, but yeah. my Uncle Ray has... Still I mean, doing it. He is a religious turkey hunter. Uh, he's packing up his camper as we speak, and he'll be <laughs> heading out um, to the east side. And, and uh, you know, Scott kind of mentioned, like, even when it's cold, those turkeys are still going to be active. Mm-hmm. They may stay in the roost a little longer, but uh, it's it's like elk hunting. You know, turkeys are like, they're they're it's like hunting big game. You know, it's no different than hunting deer elk. You're hunting in the same country. Same same thing. Yeah. And, you know, you actually get to call them in, just like an elk. And it can happen. You can hike around all day and you're, you're you know, using your box call or your mm-hmm. diaphragm, your slate. There's many yeah. different types of calls. And you'll call your head off and nothing, nothing, nothing. And then, then boom, panic. it'll just happen. Panic at the disco. You know, you'll, you'll <laughs> dive in the bushes. And <laughs> you'll make, you'll, you'll, yeah. and that bird will gobble. <laughs> and he's right there, dude. And you you got to get down. Yeah. You know, get up against a tree. And you cannot move. And you can't if you move at all. Even blink. Oh, they're they're on you. They see everything. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's a it's a hoot, man. I mean, turkey hunting. What a blast! It's a great great way to introduce kids, and that's what my uncle did with yeah. with Ryan and I. We were turkey hunting when we were ten years old. That's cool. And uh, man, that was some of the funnest. Well, I hope ever. to get the girls out here at some point in the springtime and get yep. them on some turkeys. What a great and a great camping trip for the weekend or something. Get away with the kids, but that's going on right now. That opens Friday, goes through the end of May, and really with this cold weather, that season should be pretty good yeah. for a while. You know, yeah. uh, get some, it, some time in the woods, and then got, it's cold. They got to stoke the fire. I mean, well, they, they got to be up and feed. And then the freshwater stuff. Yep. I mean, we've been talking halibut and all this stuff, but really the freshwater stuff. Now is the time to get. If you're not already trout fishing, get ready for the opener coming up here. It's it's the fourth Saturday of the month. We've got two more Saturdays, and we've got the trout opener. But really, right now, there's a ton of lakes open already. And then we had Russ Baker on from Limit Out Marine back in the first hour talking about the bass thing. Guys are already stroking bass. I mean, the east side's on fire for bass right now, and it's only going to get better. It's really good right now. It's going to get crazy in May, June. That's when that topwater thing goes off, Nelly. All the guys throw frogs over there up, up in the dunes. How the dunes. fun is that? And there's beaver huts all over back in there, and those bass get right up on those beaver huts, and they throw frogs in there and rope them on the topwater. When I was a little kid, you know, 
Field and Stream magazine or oh, yeah. Your Life, they oh, always yeah. had a cover of a bass <laughs> blowing up a frog. Yeah. And man, when you're a kid, that would just get me all fired up, you know. And uh, I tell you what, springtime on the east side, and that thing will be happening. That topwater bite will happen here on the west side, too, coming up. Well, if it, we ever get some warm weather. Yeah, days, and, and Kokanee's starting to get cranked up just a, a little, little tiny bit. bit. I, I called John Sporting Goods yesterday, talked to the guys up there, and they're like, eh, Lake Stevens, like one or two a day, maybe. It's yeah, the water temp's yet. like 48. Yeah. It's got to get to like 51, 52. 52 yeah. And then it'll kind of get going. But yeah, it's got to get into that mid-50s to really get cranking. Pretty, pretty slow. So this is the last time we're going to have you in studio till hopefully, hopefully you make it back man. for Salmon for Soldiers Day of Honor, man. I, you know, I, it, winter never goes quick, but this one seemed like it, uh, it sure did. snapped on by. Yeah, blinked yeah. and we're headed right back to Alaska. And, and uh, yeah, here so we go. So you're on a plane in the morning. You've been, yep. you've been down at the barge all week, shipping stuff up. Uh, Boats already freight. up there. Yep. Got two boats up there getting re-rigged here in the next couple of weeks, and, and off we go. Yeah, docks are going in the water here in the next couple, two, three weeks. And 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 I'm just excited to get to, like, the middle of May when right. the fishing oh, yeah. starts. Yeah, Once bingo. the fishing starts, yeah. we get all centered, and off we go, and, and a lot of work between now and then. But I'm fired up, man. There's a lot of fish up there right now, a lot of kings. Um, yeah, we're ready to go, man. All the guys are fired up. Troy called me from Craig last night, all excited and ready to go. And we've been texting nonstop, and and uh, we're excited. We got a, an extremely busy summer on the way here. So that's uh, that's ready good to news. Go. No. It so, sucks. It sucks to have you gone, but it's also kind of nice to have you up there because you're going to start fishing before we do, and and you know, you kind of let us know what's coming. Oh, for sure. And and I think you've got a good summer coming here. Once we, do. we get the seasons worked out and stuff, I mean, the numbers in Alaska right now look good. Northern BC, there's, there's, there's salmon on the coast right now up there and they're all headed, all headed this way. So you're going to have a great summer down here for sure. So, and you know, my boat ships in, in, in two weeks, two weeks from Monday actually. And then, and then I fly up, uh, or first week in May. And, and it's always been interesting. The, the conversations that, that we have, I'm, I'm a hundred miles North of you and Sitka at that point. And, and just kind of watching the waves of fish come by and there, and, you know, over the years we've been talking, there's just no doubt that we we've we see this pattern of, of fish working on by, and then we get a good look at what's what we're going to see down here in Washington and coming up the Columbia and all that kind of stuff, and and that's that's always been the endlessly fascinating part of me part part to me is is just kind of the, the way these runs manifest themselves up down the coast this year in particular. I really think this is going to be a big fish year, man. I, I well, honestly we've gotten do. some it's reports of, of five-year-olds, and, they, yes. and they're forecasting a bigger run of five-year-olds this year. And those are your big tanker kings, and that's what got me excited. I mean, that's when we're catching big kings mooching. Yep. Mm-hmm. Those fish come through in July, and we're not trolling, man. We're mooching for right. them. I mean, you're hanging onto the rod, you're cranking down on them, you're setting the hook, you're doing everything. That's my favorite, absolute favorite time of year is to be in on the kelp. And roping those big kings, man. That is that's what brought me to Alaska. That's why I ended up there uh, because it's the ultimate. I mean, in salmon fishing, it's the ultimate place. You know, yeah, northern really BC is. and southeast yep. Alaska. Yep. That's it, man. It's the top of the funnel, and you get all those big kings coming through there. And there's nothing better than mooching for those suckers. It just doesn't get you get to feel the bite, and then you have oh, you have lightning on you. the rod. You and there's no times question. I'm telling you, some of those big kings they chase the bait to the surface. Yeah, they do. And it it just drives me crazy. Because you can't hook them. You can't hook them at the surface. You have to open the bale and let it go, and good luck. I can't even do it. I've been doing it my whole life, and I can't even hook one. They'll just drive you crazy. And you'll see a 40, 50, 60-pound king will chase your bait right to the surface. And then, and then they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm out of here. And they start <laughs> swimming off, and you're just like, no. Well, and and, and, and the, oh. term, the term I've, I've often heard used when you, when you get a bunch of kings, under, is, is they climb. 
They they clunk, they come well, up under the boat. Well, that's the feeders. Sometimes. That's yeah. the feeders. These right. are those big ones that cruise the kelp, and they're not gotcha. climbers, man. Oh, they're gotcha. just okay. They're lazy. Usually, there's a lot of bait around, so they got a lot to choose from, and you can hook them. But you, it's really hard. And even if they eat your bait right at the surface, if you set the hook, you're going to pull it right out of their mouth. Yeah. And so it's just like everybody on the boat sees it. Everybody's like your hair standing on end, and you have to open up your bail and let that bait go. And let them chase it. Now, a lot of times they'll hit it on the way down, but it's just some of that stuff that keeps me excited. It's, oh, it's, it's what so makes exciting. you want to go back. Oh, right? it's I mean, so exciting, man! Just mooching for those suckers is just incredible. Uh, so I'm I'm fired up, man. We're we're super excited to get going. I think we're gonna have big silver runs. Uh, the silver stuff is really you know going going the right direction in in, in Pacific Ocean right now. You got big silver runs coming this way. Puget Sound's looking good. Um, fired up for Sanford Soldiers on the 17th of September. Um, all, all of us go in the right direction. Don't now, so. don't don't wish our summer away, Joey. Joey and wow. I got work to do. And this week's going to be an interesting week here locally. Uh, the Pacific Salmon Commission and uh, excuse me, Pacific Fishery Management Council meetings are going to come to a close. We're going to get a better, more solid viewpoint of of our opportunities here locally and and uh, see our ocean quotas and see everything else. So stay tuned. We'll be uh, definitely uh, keeping up with that on social media. Give uh, give Robbo a uh, a follow at. Rob Ensley at uh, on on Instagram at Joe Pyburn at the Outdoor Line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you missed any of the show? Jump on MyNorthwest.com, hit the podcast on theoutdoorline.com, or download that Apple Podcast app. For Rob Ensley, for Matt Nelson behind the glass, for Joey Pyburn. I'm Tom Nelson. This has been the Outdoor Line of 710 ESPN, Seattle.